It is so good to be with you, and I love, I mean, just personally hearing that the reason why you're moving is because God has continued to do a great work and uh, expanding your tribe. I love that. Uh, That's a good problem to have. Not always easy to make moves, uh, but it's refreshing to see people make moves because God keeps impacting new lives. And that was our heartbeat and our desire in the midst of trying to hash out church life amid the uh, challenges of, there was a thing that happened a couple years ago that was really challenging. I'm Remember if you all remember that, but, uh, but to see God be so faithful in and through that has just been such a gift to me. So uh, let's jump in today. Can we, uh, let's pray first. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, this is a cool, cool moment uh, in any service. We, we, we look at this ancient text, thousands of years old, and somehow your spirit moves and you make it incredibly relevant for a moment like this, for us today in our lives. We know that it only happens because your spirit is that faithful. And so, Lord, I'm just praying that you would have your way in this place. Use me in spite of me, for you are uh, (laughs) well acquainted with my inabilities, inadequacies, and deficiencies. But somehow, some way, may the good news of your story be heard and recognized today. And in that, we'll be certain to give you glory because you're the one that's deserving of it. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, we had just uh, completed yet another mission in the high hills of Kosovo. We'd spent the last several months navigating uh, the hills and the mountains through this incredibly steep terrain that was designed for horses and carts not armored Humvees. And so as we would navigate the terrain, as we'd go up these hills, we would find ourselves, instead of driving up them flat, you would always be on the brim sort of like this going around. And, and it was a little bit um, precarious most of the time. And, uh, and so we would uh, often grab the, the, the bars on the doors so tight we felt like we were going to rip them out of the metal. And this, this particular mission had been no different, but But we'd arrived at the end of the mission, and we were headed back to base, which for us felt so refreshing to know that R&R was coming, a few hot meals were on their way, and as we were making our way around the lip of this hill, we came to this fork that was on these paths. Now, the fork was subtle. you, you, You could see it. You knew that it was divergent, but not that much. So the front car, it it stopped and began to idle, and I jumped out of the, the back Humvee, and I walked up. I was what's called the NCOIC, so I was the non-commissioned officer in charge, and we looked at these two paths in front of us, and we pulled out our map and our GPS, and we're looking at them, and, and it, was, it was so indistinguishable. You would have thought from looking at what we were looking that they were really going the same way, but I also knew that at some point we were going to have to make a decision which path we were going to go to. Have you ever noticed how that happens in life? In fact, how often that happens in life? Eager to get out of the stresses and strains of life, you find yourself all of a sudden at this subtle fork. This fork where you know, like, they kind of go in different directions, but not that much, and you kind of feel like you're not really sure which option is the best, but you know that ultimately a decision has to be made. So So in those moments, we're staring down these paths, we're looking at the map, 
we, we consult the satellite GPS, and it appears that the one to the left is the direction to go. So, so I, made the, I made the call, because eventually you have to make the decision, right? You can't sit there and idle forever. At some point, you have to go. You have to choose the way. You have to choose a way, right? So we, we made our decision, and we started down this pass and path, and for the first kilometer or so, it, everything appeared good. But slowly we began to notice something. Slowly we began to notice that, that the path that we were on was becoming increasingly less worn by the regular traffic of horse and carts until we realized there was no path at all. And then we began to realize that the steepness with which we've been maneuvering was shifting. It was imperceptible at first, but then all of a sudden, quickly and unpredictably, we were headed down a direction we hadn't intended to go. So I consulted my tools, and that's when, as any good leader has that moment, when you realize, oh no, there's no path in front of us, and there's no way we go back from where we came. And that's when you realize, how long before the troops with me realize we just lost? And we were lost. We had no idea where we were. And to make matters worse, with every few feet, the terrain became less steady, the drop-off became more steep, and the outcome became less certain. We were, we were lost, and I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm lost, my mind gets cluttered pretty quickly. Anybody else? Get lost anywhere, and all of a sudden, your mind starts to go, what if, and what could have been, or what should have been, and my mind is just spinning 100 miles a minute. My heart rate increased, I think, double at that point, and we know that feeling. We know what it feels like to feel like we were faced with a juncture, and there at that fork, we made a decision. We felt like it was the right decision, and so we started down that decision, and we started down that path only to imperceptibly at first, but then all of a sudden, quickly and unpredictably, something shifted, and you begin to realize that as much as you thought you were making the right decisions, as much as you thought you were headed down that right path, you begin to realize, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how I got here. And I can't go back from where I've come. It's that sinking feeling that you have in those moments where you just feel lost. Some of us have had that vocationally, haven't we? Some of us had that moment where we picked that job that seemed like it was the right job at the moment, and we started down that path only to realize that all of a sudden, I'm not sure this is the path for me at all, but I'm not sure how to get out of where I am. Some of us have had that relationally, some of us have lived the lives where it feels like relationally every single juncture we found ourselves out that we've made decisions about has led us down paths that we hadn't intended to go down, often leaving us discouraged, disappointed, and even filled with a bit of heartache, where it just feels like we are relationally lost. And some of us, some of us have had that 
feeling or are having that feeling spiritually. So I've pastored for over 20 years, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've watched people come through the doors, and you know that they're dazed and confused, though they are dressed up and disingenuous, because no one really wants to look that way. But they don't even know where to start. They, they come in wondering, is there anything of truth worth anchoring my life in? And then there's those folks who wonder, is there any kind of life out there that is any more fulfilling than what I'm currently experiencing? And when we get lost, it can feel desperate, right? Panicky, anxiety-inducing, it can fill us, our minds with this sort of endless chatter causes us to lose sleep, our heart rate increases. Even talking about feeling lost can do that, can it? You can just kind of feel it in your body. Some of you are like, I thought I was the only one dealing with this right now. Can I just tell you you're in really good company? Because there is a long history of humanity dealing with what it feels like to be lost. In fact, you can trace it all the way back to the grand story of Scripture's especially among the disciples of Jesus. See, the disciples had assumed that they had their own trustworthy GPS. I mean, they were following Jesus. That's a pretty good direction to follow, right? They'd followed him through the rolling hills in Galilee. They'd followed him through the fishing villages of Capernaum, through the deserts of Samaria, down through towns and through the offbeat paths. They'd they jumped in a boat with him and followed him out into a storm. They'd navigated crowds of thousands. They'd even held a parade for him as he sat on the back of a donkey. But recently, it had felt as though they'd inadvertently taken a path that none of them had intended to go. It was indistinguishable at first, but then it became unpredictable and sudden. See, we actually encounter this around John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, the reality of where they found themselves came full force as Jesus, being anointed by this perfume, says to them, this is the anointing that's happening before my burial. And they're like, huh? And then Jesus starts to talk about the looming death that was coming to him. And they were like, what? And then he starts to talk about how he was going to return to the Father. And then he says something in John chapter 13 where he's like, and oh, by the way, the ones that say they love me the most, they're going to betray me and deny me. And you know all of them are like, I did not sign up for this path. They started feeling that desperation, that sense of panic. The anxiety began to stir. The chatter was happening in their minds their heart was beating in their chest. It felt like somewhere, somehow, they had gone wrong. They thought they had chosen the right path, but somewhere along the way, they'd started down this steep, uncertain terrain, and they weren't sure where they were going any longer. And then we're introduced to chapter 14. And it's in this moment that Jesus says some powerful things. In fact, Jesus, sensing their anxiety, sensing the chatter, Sensing that feeling of lostness that they were dealing with speaks words into their lives. Now, here's the really cool thing about this passage, John chapter 14. The words that Jesus speaks to the disciples are actually words 
that a groom would have spoken over his bride-to-be. Because in ancient Israel, when you're engaged, there's this long engagement period in which the groom would then go back to his, his father's estate and prepare a place to come get his bride and bring him to. So he's speaking to them. He's like, in the midst of their anxiety, he says, I got you. Like, I'm going to be with you. In fact, listen, listen to how he says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, have you ever read Jesus and gone, easier said than done? <laughs> right? If you have felt that looming sense of anxiety from feeling lost, letting your heart be troubled is like the natural inclination of our lives. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the, the way to the place where I am going. See, they'd found themselves on the steep embankment. The certainty of the path before them had given way. And these words meant for the bride-to-be, spoken by the groom about a steadfast, faithful promise and presence in their lives was being spoken against the backdrop of all this chatter that was happening in their heads that was filling their minds and creating all this anxiety. They knew they were at a here that they didn't intend to be at. Have you ever found yourself there in life? I'm at a here that I didn't sign up for. I'm at a here that I wasn't inclined to want to come to. I'm at a here... That, that feels lost and broken and dangerous and uncertain. And I would prefer to be at a different there. And then Jesus starts to speak and he's like, yes, I get it that you're at a here, but I'm going to go to a there that you're not really going to know where that there is. But I'm going to come back to here and get you to take you there. And then finally, I love it because when we are feeling that anxiety, you know, we don't, we, could you give me a little clarity, Right? And Thomas, finally, someone speaks up. And I think he asks the right question. Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm lost, I don't need anyone speaking riddles. Right? I want clarity. I want concrete. I want instructions. I want clear path. We want to know the way. And many of us are feeling that. Jesus, tell us the way. I don't need a scriptural decoder ring. I don't need analogies and metaphors. I need concrete, Jesus. The, the job that I'm in currently is crushing my soul. The, the relationships I'm in are coming unraveled at the seams. I am spiritually languishing. Jesus, where are we? Where are we going? And how do we get out of here? And it's in that moment that Jesus speaks these profound and powerful words. And he uses one of these I am statements that we've been making our way throughout these last few weeks. Listen to what Jesus says here. He answered, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way. When we are lost, we want a destination, we want a map, we want a clear terrain, a well-beaten path, but Jesus doesn't offer us a path, he offers us a person. He says, I am the way. 
How can that be? Let me return back to my story for just a moment. So there we were making our way down this embankment, and literally our, our Humvees were like this. And to make matters worse, the lead vehicle in front of me snapped its power steering fluid line on this tra- Isn't that life? Right? Like you're like, I'm already lost. I'm already anxious. My heartbeat is already pumping. And then you break something more, right? And so, and I don't know if you know this, but it's hard to turn a vehicle when you don't have power steering fluid, let alone a several ton armored Humvee. So there we are, brilliant NCIOC that got us lost in the first place, gets out of his truck, makes his way, and then one of my soldiers, and I love this, one of my soldiers pops out of the truck really calmly, grabs his weapon and a map, and he says, I'll be back, and he starts down the mountain. <laughs> and I was like, at this point, whatever, right? So he heads down, and within moments, he's out of sight, and we're trying to figure out how are we going to crank this wheel, and then all of a sudden, we see him coming back up the hill, and he's cry- climbing over these rocks, and he gets back to us, and he looks at us very calmly. He says, I can get us down from here, but you're going to have to follow me. And so we climbed back in our trucks, and we started down this path, and he walked in front of our trucks, and he pointed, put your tires here, turn your wheel here. And all of a sudden, when we were lost, wanting a direction, wanting a path, wanting a well-worn trajectory, what we got instead was a person. What we got was someone to lead the way. And Jesus says, I am that way. The beautiful thing about our spiritual lives in Christ is that he doesn't just give us a roadmap and say, hey, there you go, good luck. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the way. He says, I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm actually going to take your hand because believe me when I say this, Jesus says, there's not a place you can go that I haven't already been. Take my hand because I am the way. The way is not a path, it's a person. And it's so important for us to understand this because oftentimes when I hear people talk about Jesus being the, the way, the truth, and the life, they often talk about it only in terms of like salvation, right? Like Jesus is the way to heaven. And yes, correct. That's a good place to start. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus intends to lead us in our entire lives in the direction of living out a life that's in alignment with the Father's purposes and the Father's will and the Father's desire and the Father's design for our lives. Jesus' leadership in our lives seeks to touch every part of who we are and what we do. That's how committed Jesus is to being the way in our lives. In fact, at the point in which Jesus is preparing for his departure, he says these words as, again, assurance to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And on that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The way is not a path, it's a person, because Jesus is the way. But there's something else that's happening in this passage that we have to that we have to attend to, that we have to pay attention to. Because there's, there's a claim being made here. Jesus not only says, I am the way, he says, I am the true way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Have you ever noticed in life 
when we feel anxious, when we feel lost, and may, this could be just me, you may be much better at this than I am. We go grasping for anything and everything we can to get us out of the mix we're in. And some of us are just like, hey, I'll make my own way. Get out the way, right? But here's the real problem, or at least this is the problem as I've come to see it, is that when I'm lost, there's a lot of counterfeit ways out there that seem as though they're the way, and as you navigate down those paths, you come to discover just how disappointed you come to realize you really are by those counterfeits. But this is a part of the, the tra trajectory of the grand arc of the scriptural story. When Jesus makes the exclusive claim, I am the way, the true way, he finds himself a part of the big story of scriptures. Because throughout the Old Testament, as the people of Israel would get lost and have to navigate paths where they'd made the wrong decisions, we see that too often they turn to these counterfeit ways and in service to these counterfeit gods that we call idols. And God would demonstrate to them over and over again that though those idols promise much, they deliver little. And God, the one true God of Israel, demands exclusivity in terms of their relationship to him. God is saying to them, I'm not a really good idea amongst other really good ideas. I'm not a God among other gods. I am the exclusive God. There are no other gods but me. Jesus is anchoring himself in that very same tradition when he says, I am the way, the true way. Now, I get it. In our permissive and pluralistic culture, that can feel a bit offensive, right? But we've got to understand that even in the first century, Jesus' claims about himself weren't often received uh, welcomely, right? Because anytime we try to suggest a kind of exclusive claim of truth, it butts up against other people's exclusive claims of, claims of truth as well. But Jesus is saying something to us, and I think this is valid and really important for us, especially in the day and age. He's not saying, I am a true idea. I'm not a true concept. I'm not a true religious faith. He's saying that I am the embodied truth of God in the flesh. He's saying that if you want to know what it means to live your life in alignment with the Father's will, if you want to know what truth really looks like, you look to my life and you follow my life, and my life shapes how you understand truth to play out in the world. It's not one concept among many. It's me. And, and to follow me requires exclusive, this is a really powerful word, allegiance. To follow the true way of living is to follow Jesus in exclusivity and allegiance and everything. And there's a great quote from Marian Meyer Thompson. Jesus is not the extrinsic to the identity of God. He's not one of many prophets or agents who speak what is true. He is God's own word, embodied. In Jesus, we find the complete revelation of who God is. He's not a mere representation or the approximation of God's character, but the living manifestation of truth. Jesus is who shows the heart of the Father. Jesus is the one who helps us come to recognize the compassion, care, and concern of the Father towards all of humanity. Jesus is the one who not only manifests God to us in this world, but also teaches us what it means to live the truly human life day to day in the mundane and, and in the, 
the normalcy of our lives. Jesus says, my whole life is a life lived in the truth. And then it goes on to say this in, in John the Baptist, in talking about how Jesus manifests this, he says these words. For the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, and he makes him known. Choosing to follow Jesus as the exclusive way is not an act of judgment or pride, but a humble acknowledgement that without him we are lost. It's recognizing that there is only one hope that can bring any kind of significance to our lives. Folks, we're going to bear our allegiance to something somewhere at some point. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that we're invited to give our allegiance to a who and not a what? And it's the who that has been proven faithful year after year and century after century and now millennia after millennia. That he is that trustworthy and that he is that true. And finally, Jesus not only says, I am the way and the truth, he also says, I am the life. For months now, Community Christian has been talking to you about this you plus life. It says to you, you you've got to abandon the you life. The you life is the self-centered life. But the you, li- you plus life is the life that is supposed to be lived into the abundance that Jesus promises. One of the most profound statements I think Jesus makes is in John 10 where he says, I've come that they might have life abundantly. And that life of abundance is to be lived in connection to God and the church and the world. That's what the U plus life is all about. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says, I am the true way of living. If you want the path towards the kind of abundance that you were intended for, then proximity to me is absolutely requisite. You have to stay as close to me as possible because I am not only the source of life, but I give life to others. Look at these passages. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son, Jesus, also to have life in himself. And then listen to this. This is so good. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. When we give ourselves away to the allegiance of Jesus, all of a sudden we find ourselves not only living out and following a way that is also true, but one that bears out the kind of life of fullness and abundance that he attends for each and every one of us. Isn't that beautiful? It's the kind of life where even when you feel a little lost vocationally, he says, listen, if you follow me closely, if you draw from me daily, I can endow everything you do professionally with a sense of purpose that you could have never imagined. As you give yourself wholeheartedly to the work that you're doing as though you're serving the Lord, I can bear out purpose in it when you thought there was no purpose at all. And Jesus says, relationally, if you want life, you follow my way because my way leads you down ways of forgiveness and compassion and care and concern and selflessness. You find yourself humbling yourself before others and giving yourself away to others and all of a sudden you find yourself living out this love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control and he says if you want to find life spiritually it's in me because when you follow me when you draw near to me 
My spirit is at work in you and it moves deep within you. And all of a sudden you begin to see and experience the world differently than you ever. There is, there is no counterfeit way, no counterfeit God, nothing that can deliver the kind of promise that Jesus intends. He says the more you give yourself away to it, the more you find yourself filled up. Not that it gets easy, but that he is that faithful. And not that you're not without challenges and difficulties along the way, but you know that you're never attending those, to those challenges and difficulties on your own and by yourself. Because he is the true way of living. He's the way for us. He is the exclusive truth in all of creation. And he is the one who brings abundance and meaning to our lives. Friends, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means that we take this journey into exclusive allegiance to who he is and what he longs for us. It means that we realize that just as my soldier went down that hill only to come back up, that there is not a place that Jesus will lead us that he hasn't gone already himself to include the brokenness that you're currently experiencing, to include the heartache that you're currently masking, to include the suffering that you're currently recovering from, to include the uncertainty that you don't know what to do with. He's already been down that path. He's already returned back to us, and he said, here, take my hand. I'll show you where to put your foot. I'll show you where to turn your wheel. And I will get you off of this embankment through my grace, through my care, and through my love. So friends, if you're here today, and you had no idea that there was such a promise, can I invite you to surrender yourself to the way? Not a path, not a religion, but a person. And that you say, Jesus, I'm here today. I don't even know what this means, but I am here, and I know that I've been journeying down the path made up on my own and it's not worked out very well for me. So I yield myself to you, Jesus. Vocationally, relationally, spiritually, every other dynamic of your life, I follow you. Lord, in these moments, we're here and we're vulnerable because that's what feeling lost can feel like. Some of us are more panicky than we realized when we woke up this morning because we've been sort of stuffing that, that, that fear down deep. Some of us had to put on a really good mask when we came through the door this morning to look like we're better off than we really are. But in the heart of hearts, we know that we're lost. Relationally, vocationally, spiritually. Any number of areas of our lives, we can feel like we've gotten off the path somewhere. But Jesus, the beautiful thing about you is you come looking for us. You come climbing up the hills of our lives, climbing over rocks, up steep embankments, and you arrive at us calmly and you say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I told you I was coming back for you. Take my hand, put your foot here, and let me lead you. So Lord, we trust that. We trust that for each one of us. And so Lord, help us to walk that path. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Can I ask you to do me a favor? If you're here today and you're, you're realizing, I think I may be a little bit more off track than I thought I was, or I didn't even realize that there was a promise for that kind of direction out there, would you come see me or Marissa or Pastor John after the service and let us, let us help you have that conversation, what it means to get on the right path with Jesus so that you, if you're not following the way, can follow that way? Because we would love to help you take that journey because that's what we're about here, helping people find their way back to God as he has already found his way to us. Lord, in just a moment, we're going to receive something that is beautiful. It's a gift. May you be faithful with it. Attend to us with it. May grace be poured out through it. And may, Lord, we be blessed by your faithfulness in it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.